0: Welcome to the Anderson Tours Holy Land Scripture Series, Understanding God, Scriptures, and Self. I am your host, Dr. Clark Anderson, and will be your guide through the scriptures today. At Anderson Tours, we always advocate that there is a power of place when you visit sacred sites, and how once you visit, you'll never read the scriptures the same again. Whenever possible, you should really try to schedule a visit to the Holy Land and other scriptural locations. It will change your life. If for whatever reason you are unable to go visit in person, then this scriptural series and our virtual tour is the next best thing as we try to bring a portion of the Holy Land to you. On our website is a variety of ways you can experience the Holy Land, including downloads of today's podcast, visuals, 360 videos, quotes, and other valuable resources. Check it out on AndersonTours.com. Today's episode is part of a four-part scripture series. It starts at the very beginning and extends all the way through the prophecies of the last days. Today, you will hear one of 14 episodes in part one, which is our foundation series. Enjoy, and we hope you brought your alacrity. Congratulations on making it to the final episode of our foundation series. This will be the final part of the foundation that we will build that will help us understand the significance of the Savior's life and mission and the prophecies of the last days should make a lot more sense to us. So far, we've talked about such things as agency, faith, God wanting a covenant people, God having and making a covenant, temples, the heart, the importance of personal revelation and direction from God. We've talked about the significance of land associated with that covenant. And today we get to tell a sad story of God's temple being destroyed. Let's start today with a quote. What was the object of gathering the people of God in any age of the world? The main object was to build unto the Lord a house whereby He could reveal unto His people the ordinances of his house, and the glories of his kingdom, and teach the people the way of salvation. For there are certain ordinances and principles that, when they are taught and practiced, must be done in a place or house built for that purpose. The center of worship for God's people was the house of the Lord, the temple. The ten tribes were taken away by the Assyrians. The Babylonians came and conquered the Assyrians and the tribe of Judah in Jerusalem is the remaining tribes of the house of Israel. They worship in the temple, they go through a series of kings, and then they also give in to the spiritual pressures of the religions around them, and they become wicked and spiritually ripe for destruction. God sends several prophets to them in Jerusalem to get them to repent and to change. Jeremiah is the front runner, but Lehi, Obadiah, Joel, Zechariah, Isaiah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these prophets are prophets called to Judah and do their best to get them to repent. About 600 BC, God instructs Lehi and his family to leave Jerusalem and they went down by the borders of the Red Sea. They cross the ocean and go over to the Americas. Their fascinating story is in the Book of Mormon. Jeremiah, however, remains in Jerusalem and preaches. The story of the Babylonians coming and destroying Jerusalem is a very sad story. And this is the first abomination of desolation that takes place. In order for us to understand the prophecies of the last days, we have to understand this event. Notice in Jeremiah chapter 11, he says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, hear ye the words of this covenant, And speak unto the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Cursed be the man that obeyeth not the word of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice, and do them according to all which I commanded you. So shall ye be my people, and I will be your God." that I may perform the oaths which I have sworn unto your fathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. Then answered I and said, So be it, O Lord. And down to verse 9. The Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words. And they went after other gods to serve them, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. The Lord is so disappointed. He made a covenant with Abraham. They are his covenant people. When Moses brought the children of Israel to Mount Sinai to meet God, he said that he wanted to make them his peculiar treasure, to make them his people. He covenanted with them and promised them the land of Canaan. And then, in dramatic fashion, he helped them, he fought their battles, he helped them conquer the land, because he promised them the land. And now, they're going back to the idol worship, the Baal worship. So here, God has kept his part of the covenant, and his covenant people are breaking it. And it is very disappointing to the Lord. Notice the way he describes it in Ezekiel 6, where he says, Because I am broken with their whorish heart, which hath departed from me, and with their eyes, which go a whoring after their idols, and they shall loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. Notice his commentary on their hearts. Their hearts are no longer with the God of Abraham. In Jeremiah chapter two, he says, "My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters." and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. The God of Abraham is the source of living waters. I love the symbolism of living waters. This will be key in our next series on the life and ministry of Christ. I love that he establishes himself as such in the Old Testament. So here are the specifics of what was happening in Jerusalem. This is Jeremiah 19. They have forsaken me... And have estranged this place, talking about the temple, and have burnt incense in it unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocents. They have built also the high places of Baal, to burn their sons with fire, for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind." Therefore, behold, the days came, saith the Lord, that this place was no more called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And I will make void the counsel of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies, and by the hands of them that seek their lives. And their carcasses will I give to be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth. And I will make this city desolate and a hissing. Everyone that passeth thereby shall be astonished and hiss because of the plagues thereof. I don't know if it was clear to you in those verses, but they were doing human sacrifice in this temple. This was what was happening in the house of God. These events are critical to understand for the last day's prophecies. And all the Old Testament prophecies about what's going to happen in our day right before the second coming... It has everything to do with what's happening right now in this temple. In Ezekiel 5, he says, Wherefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, surely because thou hast defiled my sanctuary with all thy detestable things and with all thine abominations, therefore will I diminish thee. Neither shall mine eye spare, neither will I have any pity. Due to their abominations, the city and temple became desolate. A little more detail in Jeremiah 23. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house have I found their wickedness, saith the Lord. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem an horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom, and the inhabitants therefore as Gomorrah even the leaders. This was terribly disappointing to the Lord. And in Jeremiah 32, they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. And they build the high places of Baal. Perhaps the best, most comprehensive description of the initial abomination of desolation is in Jeremiah 7. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to pollute it, they do the human sacrifices in the valley of Hinnom, and the carcasses of this people shall be meat for the fowls of heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and none shall fray them away. Then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah, and from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. For the land shall be desolate." This was the spiritual condition of his covenant people. And it broke the Lord's heart. And because of it, Jerusalem was destroyed. It was taken over. And the Jews were carried captive into Babylon. The details of this Babylonian captivity are told to us in Second Kings 24, starting in verse 10. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained save the poorest sort of the people of the land. A couple more details in the next chapter. It said the city was broken up. It said he burnt the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great man's house burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. And verse 21 says the king of Babylon smote them and slew them at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was carried away out of their land. This was about 587 B.C., 13 years after Lehi left Jerusalem with his family. In Jeremiah's version of this event, chapter 39, In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army against Jerusalem, and they besieged it. And the city was broken up, and the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah, in Riblah before his eyes, and also the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah. He put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with chains and carried him into Babylon. Well, the kingdom of Judah, the Jews, would spend about 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And a hundred years before Cyrus becomes the king, Isaiah made the following prophecy. That saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. And thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee. So Isaiah prophesied that King Cyrus would allow the people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple. And sure enough, this story is uh, the first few verses of the book of Ezra. The chapter heading says King Cyrus of Persia lets the Jews go back to Jerusalem to build the temple. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all this people? His God will be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver, and with gold, and with goods, and with beasts, besides the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. They are allowed to return to Jerusalem to build a temple. And so the historical books in the Old Testament end with Ezra and Nehemiah, and the story of them going back to Jerusalem, and Zerubbabel began to build the house of God at Jerusalem about 520 BC. And they build a temple there, and there's a story of the Maccabees, so there's a small kind of wimpy temple that's there, until Herod the Great builds the big beautiful temple that is there by the time of Christ. I like this description of the book of Ezra. It has two distinct sections. Chapters 1-6 through 6 record the return from Babylon of the first group of Jews, led by Zerubbabel, and their efforts to rebuild the temple. Chapters 7-10 through 10 record the return of a second group, led by Ezra, more than 60 years later. This book reminds us of God's power to deliver His people and fulfill His purposes, even to the point of inspiring unbelievers to assist Him in His purposes. It also helps us understand the importance of temples and temple worship. Again, the purpose and object of God's people gathering is to build a temple where He can make and keep covenants and teach His covenant people the great plan of salvation. For whatever reason, God included land in His covenant with Abraham. And this first temple that's built in Jerusalem, this first physical temple of Solomon that's destroyed and gets rebuilt. We don't fully understand all of God's ways, but we do know that He has promised that there will once again be a house of the Lord built on Moriah in Jerusalem, all as part of His orchestrating events with His covenant people in the last days. It's going to be a very exciting ride to go through those prophecies in detail. I look forward to that journey. That'll be part four in this four-part series. He even told them back then that in the last days, Things would make sense. Jeremiah 23, verse 20. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed, until he have performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days ye shall consider it perfectly. He ends chapter 30 by saying this Ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goeth forth with fury a continuing whirlwind it shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked the fierce anger of the lord shall not return until until he have done it and until he have performed the intents of his heart in the latter days ye shall consider it or the footnote says you will fully understand it nephi said a similar thing in 2 Nephi 25 after he quotes 12 straight chapters of isaiah And he tells us how great the words of Isaiah are and how plainly he prophesied about the last days and what was going to happen in relation with the Jews. And he says this, I proceed with my own prophecy according to my plainness, in which I know that no man can err. Nevertheless, in the days that the prophecies of Isaiah shall be fulfilled, men shall know of a surety at the time when they shall come to pass. Wherefore, they are of worth unto the children of men, And he that supposeth that they are not, unto them will I speak particularly, and confine the words unto mine own people, for I know that they shall be of great worth unto them in the last days, for in that day shall they understand them. Wherefore, for their good have I written them. Nephi specifically quoted twelve chapters of Isaiah for us in the latter days. He knew that we wouldn't get his words until right before the second coming. He wrote them for our good. Mormon also tells us that Isaiah's words are great and his words will be fulfilled. The Savior himself, in talking to the Nephites, said great are the words of Isaiah. His words are going to come to pass. You should study them and know them. I can tell you that it wasn't until I fully understood the abomination of desolation that Isaiah's words finally made sense to me. I knew that Isaiah's chapter 52 to 54 are the most quoted parts of Isaiah. And because of that, I've studied them. I'm familiar with what the words say. But it wasn't until I wrapped my mind around the abomination of desolation. And then when I finally went to the words of Isaiah, I literally wept. I had tears just come to my eyes when I understood the beauty of Isaiah's words and how beautiful and fantastic and exciting they are and how they'll be fulfilled in our day. If you can wrap your mind around this event, when Solomon's temple, due to abomination, the city of Jerusalem and its temple became desolate and it really hurt the Lord. If you can understand that, Isaiah's words will come to life and might even bring you to tears. It's amazing that the Lord continues to keep his covenants with his people. And his covenants are beyond us, but we are all part of it. And the Old Testament ends with two chapters referring to Christ's second coming. Chapter 3 is phenomenal, as is chapter 4. And it ends with the last two verses of the Old Testament. I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The Jews know about this prophecy. Christians know about this prophecy. This prophecy was fulfilled at Passover time, and most people don't realize it. But we will see Elijah's mission play an important role in Christ establishing his kingdom when he's on earth and also in preparation for the second coming. The Old Testament and the New Testament are intimately combined, and the work in the last days in the dispensation of the fullness of times is where God will complete and finish His work that started with Adam, continued through Enoch, covenants through Abraham, through Moses, through Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other prophets. It will culminate in Christ's life, and then His work will not be completed until He returns again. the earth. I look forward to this incredible scriptural journey with you and hope that you've had a chance to internalize a lot of these concepts found in the Old Testament. I look forward to the New Testament and going through the life and ministry of Christ. That is our next section followed by part three, which is the last week of the Savior's life. And then our final series will be wrapping up our foundation series in the life of ministry of Christ, which won't conclude Until he returns again on the earth. I look forward to being with you. We'll see you then. If you would like the transcript, quotes, references, 360 visual footage, downloadable documents, and extra visuals relating to this podcast, go to our website at andersontours.com. While there, you can also register for one of our exciting educational tours, including Tours of the Holy Land. Or take our brand new and unique virtual tour of the Holy Land. There is a great big world of scriptural discovery waiting for you out there, and it's all on AndersonTours.com.